believe that this is our moment. One team, one heartbeat, baby. One of the greatest in the history of college football. I did it for Tyler and his family. My prayer was a prayer of hope that we could unite as a people instead of being separatists. They set a model for what athletes should stand for. At any moment, you can fall apart. That one was for him. He's looking down and really proud of me. A 6'6 guard from Lower Marion High School. Kobe what is going on, everybody? Happy Friday. I'm your host, as always, The Pody. It is June 26th, 2020. You're listening to episode 101 of This Week in Sports. And boy, is it a lot to get into in the sports world. I mean, there's some controversy. There's some fun. There's some good. There's some bad. We have all of it. And I'm bringing it to you live right now. Okay, so... We're going to start with the ESPYs. I will get into the other stuff later, namely the NASCAR, the NBA, the NFL. They canceled the Hall of Fame game. What the heck is going on in the sports world? Is baseball back? I'm going to break it down for all of you right now. But we start with the ESPYs from Sunday night, okay? And some of I'm just going to give you some of the, because it was a, two hours long, excuse me, hosted by Russell Wilson and uh, Sue Bird and Megan Rapinoe. It was all virtual and everything. So some of the standout award winners include Kim Clavel. I watched about the first half of this or so. She's a professional boxer from Montreal, Canada. She won the Pat Tillman Award for service. Just absolutely awesome. When her boxing career was put on hold due to COVID-19 back in March, it was really the biggest fight of her life coming up that she had been training for. So it was devastating news for her to find out that she would not be fighting, okay, and she ended up taking about two days to stay, you know, to be depressed and whine about it. But then she realized, okay, wait a second, we're in the midst of, you know, a crucial time in our lives, a, pan a huge pandemic, people are dying left and right, they need help. What can I do? Well, what she did was use her background as a certified nurse to literally help out anywhere she could. So she is ma mainly a nurse for long term care facilities, people with like Alzheimer's and, and different things of that nature. So bang, bang, bang. She literally, day after day after day, wherever they needed her, she kept moving from place to place to place, and she helped her community, and she, you know, she sat there, she read to, to patients, she spoke to them, you know, most of these people couldn't have family there because of everything going on with the COVID, and so, you know, she, just amazing, 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 and to watch her there getting her, getting that award being presented by her grandmother was just, it, it was an awesome an awesome moment uh, for for people that are not in Canada that don't know women's boxing and don't and never heard of her. So that would be me and pretty much all of us out there. Okay, next up we have Kevin Love winning the Arthur Ashe Award for Courage for his commitment to growing mental health awareness. Um, I remember this a few years ago when he dove into this uh, uh, this fight with his own um, mental health issues and, and watching this. Um, I'll, I'll play the, the clip in a second, but it's amazing to hear how it was one other player's, you know, journey and, and him coming out and speaking out about this that gave him the courage to be able to stand up and say, OK, you know, I, I could do something here. So that's really cool. Here's here's exactly what he had to say when he got the award. It's nice and shiny. See if I can get it out of here. 
Oh yeah. Yeah, that thing's beautiful, huh? When I first shared my own personal story about mental health, I did not expect the incredible response that I received from my peers, from the league, and from sports fans all over the world. I'd like to also personally thank my brother, DeMar DeRozan, who inspired me when he first shared his story. DeMar, I could not have done this without you. When I think about those I am joining as an Ash Award recipient, Humboldt does not even begin to describe the feeling. Billie Jean King, Muhammad Ali, Bill Russell. I'm not gonna try and do justice to all that these trailblazing icons have achieved, but I want to recognize and remind you that when they spoke up, they were not greeted with the warm reception that I was. They knew that change isn't always pretty, but that history would be on their side. And in light of all that's going on in our country today, I accept this award as both an honor and a challenge. A challenge to not only continue on my path, but to push beyond it and stay vocal, even when silence feels safer. I thank you again. Okay, next up, let's get into the crux of this episode, which is this whole scandal at Talladega Super Speedway over the weekend, and it's a big one. Uh, we sun, Yeah, this happened on Sunday leading into the race being canceled because of weather into Monday. And at the beginning, I felt so strongly about this one way, and it just proves what the media hype can do, and it's very scary. So let me break this down for you. Some of you that don't pay attention to NASCAR, I don't know how you would have missed this, but I'll just break down in detail everything as I know it and as the facts stated. Okay, so on Sunday, like I said, an unprecedented scene unfolded at Talladega Super Speedway in Alabama. Bubba Wallace, the only black NASCAR driver, okay, right? We've talked about him what he has meant to the sport, helping get the Confederate flag banned. Okay, right? Okay, so been in the news a lot lately. He apparently is, NASCAR releases this statement that he was a, uh, he was racially targeted as a noose was found in his team's garage. Just absolutely despicable, disgusting act, right? Uh, okay, of racial injustice, uh, of a hate crime. Okay, like I said, the new, this news that comes in the wake of Wallace's, you know, encouraging uh, the NASCAR to ban the Confederate flag at races. Why is that important? Because at this particular race, they uh, flew Confederate flags over the race track, and they said defund NASCAR, and they they drove the Confederate flag outside the the stadium and all that stuff. Right. So these people in the South are no joke when it comes to their NASCAR and the Confederate flag. I don't get it. Uh, you know, I'm from the Northeast. So NASCAR releases a statement after this happens, and they say, today's despicable act of racism and hatred leaves me incredibly saddened and serves as a painful reminder of how much further we have to go as a society. This will not, excuse me, this was a statement by um, Bubba Wallace. He goes on to say, this will not break me. I will not give in, nor will I back down. I will continue to proudly stand for what I believe in. Okay, NASCAR also releases a statement saying, we are angry and outraged and cannot state strongly enough how seriously we take this heinous act. We have launched an immediate investigation 
and we'll do everything we can to identify the person or persons responsible and illuminate, uh, eliminate them from the sport. We have stated unequivocally there is no place for racism in NASCAR, and this act only strengthens our resolve to make the sport open and welcoming to all. Okay, here's what I will say about that. There is no place for racism in NASCAR, what, as of like two weeks ago? Because NASCAR inherently is a white man sport, so clearly there's racism. Bubba Wallace is the only black driver. So this is why I think we have an issue to start off with, which I didn't realize until now or until after the facts came out. NASCAR is trying so strongly to distance themselves from white power and, and white nationalist type of, uh, you know, of terms and racism and, and white privilege or whatever that they are diving so deep into this BLM movement and into ensuring that Bubba Wallace does not feel, you know, that he's an outcast in any way, shape, or form, that they are jumping on the bandwagon here a little bit, and they maybe jumped the gun. They didn't maybe, they absolutely jumped the gun. So why is that important? We'll get into it in a little bit a little bit later. But here is Marty Smith, who is ESPN's, like, basically the heart and soul of NASCAR for ESPN. I love me some Marty Smith, his accent, everything. He was fired up about this. He was super passionate and, and you know, well-deserved because of what they were saying and the news that came out. So, so here, here's what Marty Smith had to say. You're not just hurting one or two people, whomever you are. You're hurting a whole lot of people who have made the decision that it's damn sure time to go be better. And it pisses me the hell off. And it pisses everybody else in the sport off who care. Who care not only for Bubba, but for every single person that he is standing up for. Now, I apologize if there's any clipping in that audio. The clipping is where it distorts a little bit. That's, these are just audio clips that, I, that I'm pulling from the internet, uh, ESPN and such, that I can't. I can only do so much with that, but if it distorts, uh, there's nothing really I can do there. But he's fired up. Usually when you yell, that's what happens. It clips or it distorts. Now, LeBron James, he also weighed in on Twitter with this sentiment. Sickening. At Bubba Wallace, my brother, no, you don't stand alone. I'm right here with you as well as every other athlete. I just want to continue to say how proud I am of you for continuing to take a stand for change here in America and sports. At NASCAR, I salute you as well. So, <clears throat> excuse me, nice sentiment there. On top of all of this, like I said, I don't know what it is with the Deep South and their Confederate flag, but they flew it over. They said defund NASCAR. No place for that, right? That's all well and good. They postponed the race until Monday due to inclement weather. On Monday, it was a marvel to witness what happened at Talladega. We saw the NASCAR community rally behind Bubba before the race. This is what it sounded like. It was a beautiful day here at Talladega Super Speedway. He said, I'm going to go stand beside Bubba during the national anthem. And one by one, everyone else started to fall in line and say, we need to do something bigger. I stand with Bubba kind of came together and said, well, let's let's literally stand with him. To see how many uh, people were on pit road showing their support for Bubba, that warmed me up tremendously. You're not going to scare Daryl. You know, you're not going to scare him. He's, he's really strong. He's going to rise above it. A lot of people will look at that and, and learn from it. Just everyone coming together and supporting each other. That's 
what NASCAR is about. So you could see in video, all the drivers got out of their cars and they helped push Bubba to the start, uh, to the front. Just really cool moment there. But then, dun, 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 the hammer falls on Tuesday. Okay, on Tuesday of this week, the FBI comes out. I didn't even know this was being investigated by the FBI. They come out, say they have concluded their investigation into this so-called planting of the noose in his garage, in Bubba's garage. And guess what, everybody? There was no noose. That's what was reported by the FBI. This supposed noose had actually been in place since at least October of 2019. I guess that's as far back as the surveillance goes. And yes, there is surveillance in these garages. And it was used, this so-called noose, was literally a rope that was to pull down the garage door, okay? Now, there were pictures that, there were, that were on the internet. NASCAR didn't release the official picture until yesterday, which I will get to, okay? The FBI said no federal hate crime was committed. That is the biggest news of all. So what happened was that NASCAR jumped the gun goes to the media, says, oh my God, in these terrible times of racial divide, there was an incident on Sunday at, uh, at Talladega where a noose was found in a black driver, the only black driver's garage, which means somebody planted it there to send a message to Bubba that they want him gone and blah, blah, blah. And that wasn't it at all. So they absolutely jumped the gun. Okay, NASCAR took... um. Basically, like I said, they want to jump on this bandwagon. They want the world to know that they do support black lives and, and all of that. And so I think they jumped the gun a whole lot here. Uh, Bubba actually goes on CNN after the FBI investigation finished, and he said this. You get backlash every day. I think we talked about that. Whatever. I'm used to it. Um, but it just it stings a little bit worse when they're trying to test your character, like I said earlier, and try to take something away from me that's false. Um, but the backlash will always be there. It doesn't matter if we provide 100% facts and evidence, photo evidence, people are going to Photoshop it to make it, make me look like the bad person at the end of the day. I will always have haters. I will always have the motivators to go out there and to try to dethrone me from the pedestal that I'm on. Now I had a whole thing of what I was going to say planned out and I was going to say, how dare you Bubba Wallace? The FBI said it was not a noose. I saw the pictures. It was literally a, a loop that was tied to the rope so they could use it as a handle to pull down the garage door. And I saw it. You could see it in the next stall over in, in, in garage five. Yours was four. And what do you mean? Nobody's photoshopping anything because the truth is that you lied and all this, right? Well, after I saw the, the, the picture yesterday, my stance on this has changed a little bit. I'll get into that more. Okay. Um. I just feel that NASCAR screwed this one bad in the sense that there was no hate crime and they panicked and they went to the press with this and everybody ran with it because of the dire times that we live in. And now it's like, oh my God, NASCAR, whoever did this should, you know, should be sent, thrown in jail and, and, and all this other stuff, right? It's the, it's the, it's exact things like this 
that is dividing our country and pushing this narrative of racism when there was no act of racism, right? I've heard there there's some serious stuff going on in this country, right? There are stories of black men that are there's actually not just black men, but there's a lot of people in this during a pandemic. Some people don't know how to handle staying inside that lack of human connection and such. I saw a a wealthy man, $590 million. His name is slipping my mind, but he was once married uh, or had a child with, um, what's her, is her name? Elizabeth Hurley, maybe, um, actress. But anyway, he had $590 million. He was, I think he produced, or he, he produced, um, the Polar Express and some other stuff. Okay, right? And he had $590 million in wealth. And he had two children, not older than me, right? Around my age, 25 or so. Twenty, I'm 28, but you get the point. Two young children. And he jumped off the 27th story of his, you know, of his complex and committed suicide. And it's like, this man has $590 million. And he had been, they said he was, you know, depressed over the last weeks and such without that human connection and he didn't know how to stay, you know, handle himself being stuck inside, right? And now there's stories of black men that have done the same thing. They've committed suicide, they've hung themselves, right? There are people out there pushing this horrible horrible narrative that they were actually lynched. There was one who it was like the first one. There was maybe like four or so of them or a couple of that I saw and because he did it in like a park across the street from a like the courthouse or something, they swear that it was a it was a lynching and this and that. And the police conducted their investigation, and said no, there was no foul play, none of, none of that. Well, then this guy's stepbrother goes and gets himself in a shootout with the police, and he ends up getting himself killed. Crazy. There was another one. Family demanded answers. He was lynched. He was lynched. He was lynched. The police come out, say no, he was not. They actually provide surveillance evidence. Excuse me, surveillance footage to the family after the family sees that it was truly a, a, an act of suicide. They come out and say, no, like people just you need to relax. You know, our beloved son, he actually did commit suicide. He was going through some stuff, whatever. So to push, they're pushing this narrative because it gets it's clickbaity. OK, it gets views. OK, you're, you're not going to want to see the, these bland headlines, but because of everything going on in this world, the rioting, the protesting, the burning of buildings, the defund the police, all of that, they're pushing it so much that they're causing such a racial divide. There's I'm not saying there's not racism because that in this country, because that's naive to, to think that. But there's not racism to the level that they're that the media is portraying it. And so I just. I hate to see stuff get misconstrued, okay? And that's what happened in this in this story. I was like, I was a I was a huge fan of Bubba Wallace a couple of weeks ago. Everything he was standing for, I like the guy. This that this comes out, I'm like, oh my god, I hate this guy. He lied. He's the next Jussie Smollett and, and and all this stuff, right? And then yesterday, I I actually did see the picture. So the so it was the the noose was it it was a noose I, I will take that back everything that i was saying to my friends and we were all in agreement that this is a joke like this is you barely could fit your wrist through that let alone your head so those pictures maybe they were doctored i don't know i don't know why the fbi didn't release any footage any any you know evidence or thing or pictures of that nature whatever but the nascar nascar does release this photo yesterday it's clear as day it isn't i mean i've never seen a noose but from what i know that was a noose 
Now, it wasn't put there for Bubba to send him a message. It was put there in October. I don't know why NASCAR is now coming out and still trying to investigate this and everything, but coincidentally enough, as secure as this place is and hard to get into and cameras and footage everywhere, they only have footage back to October and they can't tell me or tell us who put the noose there, who tied it there, or why they tied it there. Listen, I don't want to offend any of my redneck listeners out there, okay, from the deep south, but y'all not the brightest bulb in the batch, right? So, like, it's quite possible. I Personally, I don't even know how you, you, you go about tying a noose. I, I would have zero clue how to do that. But these people down in Bama, you know, my redneck folk out there, maybe the dude whoever was in that garage prior or whatever, maybe he just tied it that way because he thought it was easier to pull it. I don't know. I'm just I'm just saying that's a possibility, and NASCAR truly doesn't know. So the fact that it wasn't a hate crime is what we should all be, be looking at. That's the bright spot. Let's take that away from this. Not the fact that they're, you know, oh, the FBI is wrong. It was directed at Bubba because that's a lot of what we were hearing when this FBI report came out. Well, I still don't believe the FBI, and they paid off NASCAR and yada, yada, yada. And no, it's like, guys, listen, this was all a misunderstanding. They totally jumped the gun, which was wrong because they caused a stir and caused panic. And now you have people that are actually going to be threatening Bubba, but this should never have been reported, okay? And that's part of the problem with with the media today is nothing is fact-checked and everything just gets rushed to the media and, and the press. Okay, we all need to just be happy that a hate crime was not committed. Unfortunately, this actually overshadowed, you know, the race itself, which turned out to be a photo finish, which you don't very much get in the world of NASCAR or race car driving itself. But Ryan Blaney just beats out Ricky Stenhouse Jr. For Blaney, it is his fourth career victory, and he is the first racer since Jeff Gordon to win back-to-back at Talladega. I want to say that was like 07 or something for for Jeff Gordon. Um, But like I said, uh, this this investigation is still, as far as I know, ongoing, even though I don't necessarily, I don't understand why they won't just take the FBI's word for it that this was not a hate crime and we could just move on from this and sort of forget it. But they, NASCAR claims they have now looked at over 1,600 garage stalls, okay, or bays where these cars go into, and they've looked at 1,600. That's a lot. That's over 29 uh, different racetracks. They say only 11 had a pull-down rope that was tied in a knot, which I find very convenient that it was only 11 at 29 tracks, and you're telling me the one right next to Bubba's stall, lane 5, also had the pull-down rope? So maybe a lot of them were at Talladega. I don't know. But only one of them was in the shape of it was formed uh, into a noose, which was obviously the one that was found in Bubba Wallace's garage. Also, the FBI and NASCAR, they came out and they did say that nobody could have known that that was going to be Bubba Wallace's stall or garage until a week before the race. That was just a random selection. Okay, so there's that. Now, the president of NASCAR did come out, and he did have this to say. The noose was real, as was our concern for Bubba. Bubba Wallace and the 43 team had nothing to do with this. Wallace has done nothing but represent this sport with courage, class, and dignity. Based on the evidence we had, we felt that one of our drivers had been threatened, a driver who had been extremely courageous in recent words and actions. It was our responsibility to react and investigate 
And that's exactly what we did. So now what I will say is that NASCAR should apologize for running with this story and sort of creating this false narrative. But at the same time, I was ready to condemn Bubba and be like, oh, I hate you. You're Jesse Smollett. You made this story up and yada. But no, again, I heard it best on, on WFAN. And it was just a huge misunderstanding. And that's what bothers me the most is because NASCAR really should have apologized that they caused such a frenzy in the sports world and such a racial divide instead of bringing, and nobody wants to, once it came out that, okay, it wasn't a hate crime, it should be over. If you want to do your own investigation, fine, do it on the side. Then once you find out what, what the deal is, come out with the answers. But I don't want to hear every step of the way that you go now because it just, it, it muddies the waters here a lot. Okay, and I don't want anybody to be like, oh, Bubba made this up or now that's the problem by running with this story. It makes Bubba look bad like he like he this was a farce and and this was something to push an agenda, which it was not. So that was the whole disaster this weekend and and this whole week that we've been hearing about the NASCAR, about this noose. So the picture was released yesterday. I could tell you it was, in fact, a noose. I'm going to assume that the that NASCAR did not. Um, doctor this photo in any way. Obviously, I would think that. I have no reason not to, but I felt myself a little bit like an idiot at first when this came out because Aubrey Huff, who I've been listening to his new podcast, Off the Cuff with Aubrey Huff, it's really good. If you want to go um, subscribe to that, he talks. Uh, uh, he talked about this not in the podcast itself, but um, on on his Twitter page and Instagram. That when this first came out, he said, as a major league baseball player, he's had the privilege to go into these stalls before these garages. And he went into it before and he said the security is super tight. Like just to get in there, it's quite crazy and they don't just let anybody in there. So he wanted to see the evidence when they ran with this story. He's like, listen, I'm I'm just a free thinker. I'm not saying it didn't happen, but I'd love to see the the photo proof of it because I want to make my own opinion. I don't want to, I don't want to be told what to think by the media. And when he said that, it, it kind of opened my eyes to be like, wow, like, yeah. I need to see pictures too because why should I just take NASCAR's word for it or the media's word for it, right? Not that they're wrong, but we need to be able to to judge these things for ourselves, ourselves. Well, they didn't release the pictures right away and whatnot. Then the FBI story comes out. Well, before the FBI story comes out, there were people immediately just calling Aubrey Huff a racist. You're a racist. You're a racist. You're a racist. Marcus Stroman of the Mets, he's a very outspoken dude. He called him a racist. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. He's not saying that if there was a noose that, oh, good, you should just hang Bubba by the, or something like that. Like, absolutely not. He just wants to, like, that's the, 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 the nature of the world that we're living in right now. And it scares me. It really does. Because we all think that because the media, because the news outlets tell us something, that that means it's automatically facts. And in this age, Everybody, this day and age, everybody, and I mean everybody, they forget to fact check sometimes. They just run with the story. They want to be first to print, and that's what happened here. So immediately, Aubrey Huff gets gets, gets labeled a racist, right? Not the first time he's heard that, I'm sure. FBI comes out, and man, he gets his sweet revenge. So please, guys, when somebody is questioning something, I hate when you get labeled a racist, like to be called a racist. It's so it's, it's, 
totally defamatory and derogatory, and it, there's no place for that. If somebody, like, that's the, the new, it's almost like the new R-word or the new N-word in a sense, where it's like, oh my God, you say one wrong thing that goes against what one side, what the left or the right believes, then oh my God, you're automatically a racist. Like, we have to step back and just look at things in, in a whole new light and stop running with stories that are not true. Okay, so with that being said, let's move on and let's get into the NFL because we're about halfway through this show and we've got a lot more to talk about. So first off in the NFL, hallelujah, the Dak Prescott saga has finally come to an end. Adam Schefter announced that Dak uh, planned to sign his $31.4 million franchise tender on Monday, which he did. He mailed that in. The two sides still have until July 15th to work out a long-term deal. What this means is what this means now is that Prescott is contractually obligated to report to training camp, which isn't too far off. Okay, so curiosity looms large in this one. Will they get a deal done by July 15th? I don't know, but here's what Adam Schefter had to say. When Dak Prescott signs, yes, he gives up his options for this year. Yes, he has to be there. But to me, he's got long-term leverage because the Dallas Cowboys can't afford to lose Dak Prescott, and they can't have him count against their cap at the numbers he's currently slated to make each of the next couple of years. Honestly, I don't think this puts the Dallas Cowboys in the running for Jamal Adams. I do want to talk about that a little bit in a second, but... Really, so Dak has the leverage here. I get that. They can't afford to lose him. But but are you, are we sure they can't afford to lose him? Because if you look at Dak Prescott a, a season ago versus non-playoff teams, he was one of the best in the league, 7-2 and two win-loss, 22 touchdowns, just three interceptions, had a total QBR of 80, which was tied for the second, uh, excuse me, uh, yeah, he had a total QBR of 80. Okay, versus uh, playoff teams, Okay, and versus those non-playoff teams, one of those two losses, my New York Jets, okay, which is quite quite sad. Versus playoff teams, one and six record, eight and eight touchdown interception ratio, and a QBR of fifty. So versus non-playoff teams, he had a QBR of eighty. Versus playoff teams, fifty-five. That was tied for the second largest drop-off in the NFL. So realistically, the only thing that matters is can you win against good teams, and Dak Prescott cannot. I'm not saying he's not the best option, but long term, I think they might be able to uh, do without him if they could get somebody um, better, like a veteran type of situation where like a Tom Brady comes in and takes over. Speaking of Tom Brady, him, Gronk, and a few other Tampa Bay teammates were seen practicing on Tuesday, despite the Players Association advising against private workouts with groups of players. This is in Florida, no less where infections have been steadily on the rise all the way to the tune of 9,000 today alone. Uh, Texas has been bad. They finally closed all the bars there. I mean, it's just, it's, it's insane. The Hillsborough County government actually released a PSA, this is what's even worse, that featured Bucks head coach Bruce Arians encouraging residents to take precautions. The state eclipsed 100,000 infections, with at the time it was a one day surge of four thousand. Like I said, now it's up to nine thousand. So uh, why exactly did they decide to practice? 
players do what they want to do, just as people in our society are doing what they want to do. Right now, these Buccaneers players believe that it's a bigger priority to be ready for the start of training camp whenever that begins, and they're not concerned with Dr. Mayer's recommendation. They care more about getting ready and being in shape for the start of training camp whenever it kicks off. So there you have it. They just don't care about um, what they were told, and you're going to advise it but not enforce it, then we're going to we're going to go and work out. And that's why Tom Brady is a winner, whether it, you know, it has long-term health co- uh, you know consequences if somebody contracts the virus, then you know, that is what it is, but I don't think they regret it for a second. This is a new team. Gronk a- a- is coming off a, you know, a year in which he sat out, so he needs to get all the work in as possible. Brady needs to get that work in with his new teammates, learning that playbook, etc. So, hey, he thinks the the risk is worth the reward. We'll see when the season starts. Now, somebody that was diagnosed with COVID was Ezekiel Elliott, and that was about 10 days ago. He now said he's feeling normal after he did experience some shortness of breath and a cough for a few days. Now, I can tell you from firsthand experience, not myself, but my brother, he had some of those similar um, uh, symptoms with the coughing a little bit, but mostly the shortness of breath and couldn't hold his breath for 10, 15 seconds, et cetera. That's what a lot of people have been saying. Here's what Ezekiel Elliott had to say about how he feels and, and the upcoming season, et cetera. I just feel like there's a lot of moving parts that have to be figured out. Um, I just don't know how they can keep the, the players healthy. I do hope that we have a season, but, I mean, it just has to be – it has to be right. We got to put the health of the players and the coaches and, and the support staff first. Yes, we do. But thankfully, the NFL season isn't until September. So we have a long ways to go and a lot can change by that time. The NFL thinks that we should be fine with a season going forward. So we'll wait and see what happens. ESPN.com released its list of the top NFL rosters. And it was interesting to say the least because number one was not the Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs. It was actually the Ravens. This is why I love when they release polls or lists like this. It, it, it It's never, everybody always has a differing or varying opinion. The Ravens were number one. They list each team, uh, why they were on there at, at what number, and then they list their biggest strength. So for the Ravens, you could guess it, their rushing attack, right? No one can argue that, but honestly, they don't deserve to be number one. They lost in the playoffs, got embarrassed, okay, and by the um, Titans, and, and yeah, there's enough said. The Saints came in at number two. A lot of people like the Saints to win the Super Bowl this year. The Breeze to Thomas connection listed as their biggest strength. You had the 49ers third with their four-man pass rush as its biggest strength. Then the Super Bowl champs come in at number four, which is insane. They list, of course, Patrick Mahomes as their biggest strength, obviously. But fourth, we're to- total disrespect to you know to to Big Red, Andy Reid, and Patrick Mahomes and the rest of that crew. I mean, you're Super Bowl champs. They should be number one for sure. Uh, rounding out the top five was the Bucks. Their biggest strength, undoubtedly, the duo of Evans and Godwin. Number five with a new quarterback, a new tight end, etc. I, I could get behind that. They're my Super Bowl pick as it is. So, okay. Um, I told you Ezekiel Elliott contracted the virus, right? Well, this whole pandemic has finally made its way to the NFL in the form of canceling events. 
So the Hall of Fame game, which was scheduled to be played on August 8th, the NFL already canceled that. That was supposed to be the Steelers versus the Cowboys, all right? They also canceled the enshrinement ceremony. The league did tell teams not to worry and that this should not affect the start of training camps next month. Most teams will be reporting to training camp on July 28th with the first preseason game scheduled for August 13th. And of course, the season kicks off on September 10th with a Thursday night football matchup between, you guessed it, Super Bowl champion Chiefs hosting the Texans. Now, what's interesting to me is that they canceled the Hall of Fame game, but five days later is the preseason starting on the 13th. So what's going to change that that five-day difference? Is that going to allow them to play the preseason games, or are they going to cancel the preseason games? Because they haven't announced that just yet. So very interesting there. Okay, next up, I do want to talk about the New York Jets and the Jamal Adams saga a little bit. And this little, this little friggin' weasel, Manish Mehta, is all over it again. He's back at it, this snake in the grass. Comes out with this report the other day saying, oh, Jamal Adams, the reason he wants out, it's not because of money, the obvious thing, which it is. No, 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 no. It's because Jamal Adams absolutely hates Adam Gase. And then he proceeds to say, oh, uh, people in the locker room, they all know it, this and that. Gives no sources, no quotes from any player or anybody in the organization. Just a bland article that sounds so made up. He, 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 he lists his, his, you know, his, um, his, basically his, um, hammer or, or his, his, his token, um, that is his, like the smoking gun is what I'm trying to say. Thank you. The smoking gun in this whole thing is the fact that in this whole article is some trainer that's been working there for like all these years who Adam Gase just up came in and just decided uh, you're getting fired or reassigned him and then fired him. I mean, you, who knows what the case was, why that guy left. He could have decided to retire on his own. Like, you don't know. And, and if so, like, it is what it is, right? But the story just, just, just reeked of Manish Mehta pulling the wool over our heads. Like, I don't understand how this guy still has a job. He's been with the Daily News. He's a Jets beat writer for 10 years. Like, bro, are you going to, like, move on and uh, uh, bigger and better and greener pastures? Like, come on. This guy is the worst. And if you know, if you're a Jets fan, you know exactly who Manish Mehta is, and you know everybody hates this guy's guts, okay? So he causes another rift inside the Jets organization. And now today, the best part about this is, Jamal Adams, yes, Adam Gase is the head coach, but everybody in this Jets organization knows it. They've made it clear. Adam Gase coaches the offense. Greg Williams coaches the defense. That's what works for them. Greg Williams is a defensive you know, genius. That defense was top 10. Jamal Adams had his best year last year. Of course, now you have Greg Williams coming out yesterday defending Jamal Adams. You know, I would do anything for this guy. He deserves to get paid. Yada. So it just caused a divide right there. And then today you had to have Adam Gase come out and say, no, I want Jamal Adams on this team. This is a contractual thing. Jamal Adams is feeling slighted. He wants to get paid. He wants his money now. The Jets, real, the Jets have no intention. They don't want to trade him. The Jets do want to pay him. They just don't have an obligation to pay him right now. And for whatever reason, Jamal Adams said, I don't care. I want out and I'll go play for one of these seven, eight teams or seven teams. And 
I don't even need a contract extension. So, which is a complete slight to the Jets. So, like I said last week, just ship him off to Cincinnati. He could go play with LSU alum Joe Burrow, and they could be at the bottom of the AFC. See how he likes that. Next up, baseball. Baseball is back, okay? Finally, it took a ways to get here, and there was some more controversy over the weekend. We didn't know if we would get to this point. The MLBPA postponed their vote on a 60-game proposal as Manfred made a little bit of some late tweaks to the offer, namely to cancel the expanded playoffs and removing the universal DH for next season in 2021. That was if a full season isn't played in 2020. I think that was like Saturday, Sunday. So then um, on Monday, I think it was, they voted. Do you guys realize that as of today, it has been literally 240 consecutive days without baseball? Now, according to Elias, this is the second longest stretch without baseball since the 94 strike, which lasted 256 days. So as you can guess, moving this thing along, the MLB Players Association, they rejected that proposal and it put Commissioner Rob Manfred in position to implement a schedule of his own choosing. Manfred then used that opportunity to launch what was called the 2020 plan. In a statement, Manfred said, the teams unanimously voted to proceed with a 60-game season. The Players Association will have until 5 p.m. on Tuesday to see if players are able to report to camp by July 1st and if they would agree on the operating manual, which contains the health and safety protocols for the season to begin. So there was a lot of speculation. Well, what is exactly does that mean? Does that mean we will have a season? So here's where it stood at the beginning of the week. This is all subject to falling apart because this is Major League Baseball and the Major League Baseball Players Association that we're dealing with here. But the number of players with whom I spoke tonight had the same refrain, it's time, this is the deal, let's get back and actually play. And as you can hear from Jeff Passan, it's like you could just hear the frustration in his voice. It's like, Let's just go. This is like enough is enough. We want baseball. It's the only major sport. And so now it looks like we're going to get baseball. But again, to catch you up, because this soap opera has just been nonstop for months and weeks, it seems like. On June, on June 17th, MLB proposed a 60-game season. Then on June 18th, the players counted, countered. They wanted 70 games. So it's like, come on, guys. Just meet in the middle or whatever. June 19th, MLB said no. We are not wavering. It's not going to be more than 60 games. So finally, on June 22nd, the players said, well, we're rejecting the 60-game proposal. So the owners voted and went ahead with a 2020 schedule. Baseball now is officially back. The Players Association and the league have agreed to terms on a 60-game season with players expected to report to camps by July 1st. Now, the final little details that needed to be decided were the overall health and safety protocols. And all in all, it took just over three months to complete this deal. Just an absolute circus. Opening day is going to be July 23rd or 24th. Not exactly sure there. Games will be, in fact, played in home ballparks. This is the one interesting caveat for um, baseball is that they're not going to play in a bubble. They are going to, in fact, play in each team's home stadium so this this is interesting because you have now teams flying and, and all sorts of it, it adds a whole wrinkle to this thing, right? The season will wrap in September on the 27th, 
Regular season will consist of divisional and interleague games to limit travel. I heard they're going to play like eight or nine teams, so your division, and then the interleague teams like 20 times, something to that effect. So if you're in the AL East, you'll play the NL East to limit travel. DH rule will be in effect for both uh, for both leagues. And the big one, extra innings will start with a runner on second base. I know baseball lifers out there are cringing when they hear that. So I am dead serious. You will have extra innings and a base runner will start on second. This to speed up the game. They don't want these long-winded uh, games because we are playing 60 games in about 66 days. So they want to limit the chance for injury and all that, that good stuff. This is being taken from, this is something they do in softball. Okay, they put a runner on second in extra innings and the, a lot of strategy involved in that. Normally you bunt the runner over to third. Now there's one out, sack fly, boom, you score, you win the game, right? easy strategy because really in baseball extra innings come about players will tell you they're all trying to hit home runs so maybe that's the only positive i could take from this but it's not going to make any pitchers very happy when they give up this run when it's like an imaginary magic double and a guy's there they've been experimenting with this in the minors for the past two seasons i believe and it does it does cut down on the games so really they want to limit games from going past like the 12th inning and stuff like that there were talks of of games ending in ties. Oh, no, 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 no. There's no ties in sports. I, I absolutely hate that. Granted, I would take a tie over a loss any day of the week, a la a bunch of NFL coaches that make these idiotic moves in overtime and end up losing when you could actually just tie. So um, in that respect, I'm okay with it. But yeah, I just don't like this wrinkle to it. I don't care about cutting the games down at all. Um, so we'll see. Um, but the fact that they're going to expand the playoffs and it's going to be 60 games in 66 days. This has the makings of a very exciting 60 games. 60 games, mad dash to the finish. Every game matters. Every team has the same opportunity. Everyone's in it. A subpar team can get really hot for 40 or 50 or even 60 games. That's what's so exciting about this is your team, you say, well, we can't last 162, but we might be able to do something in 60 games, and that's got some people excited. Yes, it does. It has me excited just because uh, Caesars came out. They have the Dodgers and Yankees as the front runners to win the World Series. I'm not going to jump the gun here because I'm waiting to find out what the deal is with Aaron Judge. I found out already that Domingo Herman, because he was supposed to be suspended for half the season, well, there's no, apparently, there's no loophole, although I wish maybe the Yankees can fight this, but apparently there's no loophole. His half the season was like 80 games, and now half the season, since there's only 60 games, he should only have to sit out 30 or so, and then he could make it for the playoffs, but not going to happen. Yankees could still win without him, theoretically, but really this all hinges on the health of Aaron Judge. Okay, I hear he is now hitting off a tee in the cage and there was like no restrictions and he seemed great and all that. But until I see it and and can physically uh, watch him produce in this Yankee lineup, then uh, I am skeptical. Same goes for Giancarlo Stanton. All right. If, but if the pitching staff can stay healthy, if Paxton comes back and he's healthy, then I think we're good to go. Okay. Um, and. Granted, with 60 games, what makes this fun is that teams that are not normally looked at as contenders 
Look, a team like the Tampa Bay Rays, I might put some good money on them to make the playoffs. They're not going to win the division with the Yankees there, I don't think. But the Tampa Bay Rays, that is a team to watch out for in a 60-game stretch because, my goodness, that team is dangerous. And they were dangerous last year, fell just short because of some injuries at the pitching, starting pitching. But they're dangerous. Uh, Blake Snell especially had an off year. But, um, you know, I also saw they listed the the top win totals for, for the top teams. They had, I think, the Yankees second, and they had the Dodgers at like 37 and a half, and the Yankees were like 36, 35. And I'm laughing because 60 games, you're telling me they're barely going to win half? I would easily bet that the Yankees or the Dodgers or one of these other teams could definitely win 40 to 45 games, like no doubt. Uh, so that to me is like a surefire bet right there. Okay, let's move on. Let's dive into the NBA. How far? We're 48 minutes into this and we've got a lot to go. This is probably um, the most sports talk that we've had throughout this pandemic. So let's now talk NBA. Two notable players that opted out early for the restart in Orlando. You had Trailblazers forward Trevor Ariza. He decided to sit out because he's been involved in a custody case over his 12-year-old son, and he was granted a court-ordered one-month visitation period during the league's quarantine in Orlando. This is probably the only instance where I'm all for one of these players sitting out because that's legitimate. If he does not stay back, then he's losing visitation from his son, and that is not that would be bad family dynamic right there. Your son would hate you, right? Then you have Wizards forward Davi Spurtons. He will be absent because he's in the cusp of a big contract uh, negotiation year and he doesn't want to risk injury. Um, I respect that, but I also respectfully disagree. Um, Your teammates don't care about your contract, bro. They care that you are willing to go out there and fight and be an actual teammate. So this is that whole me, me, me culture and I can't stand it. So whatever, do you, I guess. Nobody really knows who you are anyway. But luckily, um, these are smaller name players and not the big ones that are deciding to sit out. So this, I think, is a right now, this is a good thing. Um, But more from Woj on what it means. There's going to be other scenarios. It might be a pregnancy. It might be a sick relative. You know, and players are going to have to make decisions. There, There are many coming down to the wire here. I expect there'll be more players, not a significant number, that will uh, opt out and will not join their teams, and their teams are able to sign a substitute player, replace them, and once a player is replaced off the roster, he cannot then go back and rejoin his team. His season would be over. Okay, there's that aspect of it, right? And then um, real quick, I just want to talk about one of the top draft prospects for next season, Cade Cunningham. He actually made an intriguing decision to remain at Oklahoma State despite the school's postseason ban for next season. Okay, this is interesting because he was draft eligible in 2021 and he had considered that he had other options on the table um, in the past couple of weeks, such as joining the G League or going overseas, of course, like you've seen other players do. His draft won't be for another year, but honestly, experts are projecting him to be the number one overall pick, so keep an eye out for Cade Cunningham. Okay, another player that will not be joining the Lakers when the NBA restarts in Orlando is Avery Bradley. 
Shocker there, right? He's been a leading voice of the Players Coalition with Kyrie Irving. So again, I'm not surprised at all. However, what I'm a little bit shocked at and um, miffed about and kind of annoyed is that he's calling it a family decision to sit back. It's like, I'm pretty sure you were leading voice saying you shouldn't have a season because it's going to take away and it's going to like taint the whole BLM movement and everything, right? Systemic racism, all that. But he's now using the fact that his oldest son, Liam, has a str- has a history of struggling to recover from respiratory illness, so he likely would not be allowed you know, in the bubble. But bro, come on. I mean, so he's not allowed in the bubble. You're going to be gone for a couple months. You have a chance to literally win a championship. So if they win this title, you don't deserve a ring. I'm sorry. You're, you're, you're bowing out on your team. Okay? So, hey, that's just me. I, I, would, I would put um, a chance to win a title ahead of time, ahead of a couple of months with my family. I mean, call it what you want. It's, to me, it's not, it's not a crass move or anything like that. To me, it's just I value winning a little bit more than I do spending a couple months with my kids. I'm sure my kids would understand when they get a little bit older that daddy just went out there and he made that, that money. Those 14 game checks equal many millions of dollars right there or a million dollars, whatever. That's a lot of money and food on the table at the end of the day, whether they win a championship or not. So call it what it is. I don't have a family, so it's easy for me to say that now. Um, but yeah, it, it, I guess it's, I don't know. I guess it's a tough decision. We'll see. Um, okay, uh, where I lost my spot here. Okay, yes. So interestingly enough, now that Avery Bradley is deciding not to join the Lakers, well, guess what? They need a replacement for him. And Woj... Adrian Wojnarowski has just the player. They've already been discussing the possibility of adding J.R. Smith. It was inevitable he would find his way to L.A. J.R. Smith, who's been out of the league for over a season now, is a serious, uh, I would say a leading candidate to replace Avery Bradley on that roster. And that will certainly be entertaining uh, to have J.R. on this Lakers team and, and, and chasing another title with LeBron James. Okay, so we're talking about, yes, the J.R. Smith that recently was seen in L.A. beating up a guy for vandalizing his car, but also this J.R. Smith. Hill misses. Rebound goes to the Cavs. J.R. Smith brings it back out. Throws to the Hill. Hill shot blocked. And will go to overtime. You get the feeling J.R. Smith thought they had the lead. He didn't know the score. I think, exactly. That's a bad mistake by J.R. Smith. Who remembers that? Game 1, 2018 NBA Finals cost his team not only the game, but the series. And uh, LeBron tried to take it out of his hands there. But, yeah, that's the guy that apparently is going to be. Well, they did win a championship together, so I'm not going to slight him that much. But, yeah, that's. That's one that everybody remembers from uh, from Jr. Okay, moving right along. Nikola Djokic tested positive last week for COVID in Serbia, delaying his return to Denver. I think this was a lot of this had to do with uh, uh, Novak Djokovic, the 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 number one tennis player in the world. He had this tournament in Serbia. Everybody was getting 
was getting it. He got it. Another guy got it. They're playing one-on-one basketball. There's no social distancing. He flew from one country to the next. Nobody tested him beforehand. And then he gets to Serbia, tests, and, and he's positive, right? So Jokic gets it. He's now stuck in Serbia. Um, he's expected to be cleared for travel within a week. Hey, I'm wondering if maybe he had corona all this time, and that's why he lost so much weight and he's so skinny now. Who knows? But per league protocols, he will need two negative tests within 24-hour period in Serbia before he gets the okay to travel back to Denver. Uh, Kings forward Jabari Parker alongside Alex Len, they also tested positive for COVID. And then earlier on Wednesday, Pacers guard Malcolm Brogdon revealed he tested positive. Now, I know Brogdon was out there in Atlanta protesting, so I'm just wondering if that's a possibility as to where he contracted uh, the virus. Um, All these players, they're probably excited that they're getting it, uh, if they're going to get it, that they're getting it early because they do plan to join their teams in Orlando when the season resumes because it would suck if you get it during the season and then, what, you're screwed. 14 days, That's the, the season is eight games, and then the playoffs, so you'd be in trouble. Um, it's not a major concern for the league that players are testing positive right now. They are more afraid of what will happen if a player contracts the virus inside the bubble. You talk to players and executives, they're much more concerned uh, about what will happen within the bubble once players are sealed away there. If positive tests start to occur there, you know, the fear that might spread once players start to sweat on each other and are on the court against each other, less concerned about it happening now where players are really, they're testing positive because they're out living in a society uh, that has opened up. Yeah, they are out there doing their thing every day and they're not going to be stuck inside where they can control this virus, right? You also have to realize, though, the one issue that I'm sure the NBA is, is, is a little worried about is the fact that this virus could get into this bubble and then what? And it could get in through hotel staff and workers on the premises because none of these people are are going to be staying and stuck in this bubble. No, these are people, These they get paid you know minimum wage jobs, whatever, that are going to be taking care of these guys that you would see when you go down to Disney yourself, right? And you stay at the resort, concierge types, all that, hotel staff, bellhops, whatever. And they're going to be going home every day. They're going to be going, leaving their shift, going to the grocery store, you know, going to get dinner, going to see family. So it could get, it could be brought back in there. So they're going to have to do daily testing of work, uh, you know, of these hotel staff people and everybody else as they come in and out. And it's going to be interesting because the test, you, you take the test, you don't get the result like immediately on the spot. You have to wait like a day. So very, very interesting. Um, Now, speaking on this whole Players Coalition, the NBA and the Players Association did address social justice efforts in a meeting on Wednesday. They, uh, the sit-down was clear. Discussing and fighting systemic racism will be a focal point during the league's restart. Okay, this is good. I'm sure this is what Kyrie and Avery and all them want to hear. Chris Paul had this to say as the Players Association president. The issue of systemic racism and police brutality in our country need to end. As players, we have taken a leadership role when it comes to using our voices and implementing practical solutions, but there is much work ahead both in Orlando and long-term to continue the momentum and bring about real long-lasting change to our society. So, okay, well, well put there. I have some sad news to announce. 
Vince Carter announced his retirement yesterday. When the NBA restarts at the end of July, it will be the first time since 1998. Let me repeat that. It will be the first time since 1998 that it does not include Vince Carter. He is, of course, the only player to play in four separate decades, a career that spanned 22 seasons with eight different teams. He's number 19 on the all-time scoring list. The last shot of his NBA career was a made three-pointer in overtime. He is, in my eyes, the greatest dunker of all time. The greatest dunk I've ever seen was in the Olympics when he dunked over that seven-foot behemoth. I forget even what country that dude was from, but here is an an ode to Vince Carter, a little montage, if you will. Raptors with numbers. Look out! Soaring for the air, Vince Carter with the greatest of ease. First round for Vince Carter. Oh, it's over! It's over, ladies and gentlemen. Vince Carter win the NBA.com Slam Dunk 2000 Championship. Basketball has been good to me. I've enjoyed each and every moment of it, good and bad. If this is it, this is all good. Just a great person, a great NBA player, and he will be missed. Another player that has decided they will not be entering the bubble, they're going to bow out for their season. That is Mav center Willie Cauley-Stein. Okay, he is expecting a newborn, which, again, that's fine, but, like, can't you just be at the hospital present for your wife giving birth? Like, you don't really do too much. And then, like, the next day, can't you just go and join the Mavs in the bubble? Like, I don't understand that whole thing there. Uh, Your team is counting on you. Your newborn baby isn't going to remember you being absent for two months, that baby is going to do a whole lot of screaming and crying and pooping. So it's like, you know, you'd be doing the baby a favor by just going and being with your team and helping them win. So I, I just, I, I, I guess I'm a different breed of, of human being. Um, I just want it more. Okay. And today is Derek Jeter's birthday. And we'll get into that a little bit, but Derek Jeter put family on the back burner. He didn't start a family till after his career because he thrived to be a champion. And he was, in fact, a champion, a five-time champion, okay? He put winning above everything else. And that's what makes him so great. And that's why he'll go down in history. Willie Cauley-Stein is going to be, is not going to be remembered. And it's because in a moment like this, he chose to be there for his newborn child rather than go and help his teammates win a championship. And yes, that's all well and fine, but I'm just telling you the facts. If that were me, I'd be going to play, whether I thought I had a chance to win or not, because right now every team has a chance. It's, you know, depending on where you sit in the standings, every team has a chance right now, and they all believe that. So again, call me harsh, call it whatever you want. I don't truly know for a fact how I would, how I would act if this was me, but again, I don't have a family, so it's easy enough to say right now. But uh, I'm pretty sure I'd have that talk, and I'd be going to play. 
and the, and you know my wife or girlfriend or whatever they would agree that I got to go make that paper because 14 game checks that's what you're giving up. They're going to max you at 14 game checks. That is a lot of moolah on the table. That's a lot of bread, okay? And you could do a lot of good with that. You're like I said, your kid isn't going to miss you for 2 months. A newborn no less. Come on. All right. Um Let's move on. Final round, RBC Heritage in South Carolina at Hilton Head. The day started with a three-hour rain delay, but it's South Carolina. If you know anything about the weather and golf down there, the you get some downpours. It passes. Sun comes right back out, and they were ready to rock and roll. When the sun did come back out and they resumed, there was absolutely no stopping Webb Simpson. He separated himself from a very crowded leaderboard with five birdies in a six-hole stretch on the back nine. He shot a 64 on Sunday and set a new tourney record at 22 under par. It's his second tour victory of the year. Um, some guidelines put in place for COVID with the PGA moving forward. A little bit stricter rules. This comes on the heels of three positive tests this week alone, including one golfer. There were five golfers that withdrew from the Travelers Championship, which is going on right now actually um and round two sees phil mickelson right now uh in the lead but um so guys like brooks kepka okay his caddy uh so brooks kepka bowed out his caddy ricky elliott was one of these three people that tested positive this week luckily brooks did not test positive but he decided that uh he he tweeted this, I haven't tested positive for COVID-19, but as I've said all along, I'm taking this very seriously. I don't want to do, uh, to do anything that might jeopardize the health of any player in the field or his ability to compete. So kind of, I guess, being that his caddy had it, he just wants to take every precaution, even though he doesn't have it, that maybe there's that chance that he does and spreads it. Uh, losing big name players is really why the PGA is toughening its stance on testing. Here's what Commissioner Jay Monahan had to say. All of us have an extraordinary responsibility to follow those protocols. For any individual that does not, there will be serious repercussions. But everybody knows and needs to know our future, our ability to sustain this business and to create so many jobs is contingent on our ability to, to follow those protocols. Okay, and then you have Bubba Watson um, kind of echoing that sentiment. I love everything about the message that he gave today. It's about our whole tour. It's about our country watching live sports again and, and getting some, um, some sports in our life is always good. And so that's what we're trying to do. Couldn't agree more. And real quick, I knew I was going to forget this. Back to the NBA, just as I'm sitting here now, about a half hour ago or so, the NBA has released details on its schedule for all teams that will be playing in Orlando. So we're talking dates, opponents, TV networks, all that good stuff. Um, I believe that the, um, where was it? Where was it? Okay, here we go. The opening night for the resumption of the NBA season, you will see the Jazz, Pelicans, and Clippers, Lakers, July 30th on TNT. So mark that on your calendars. We have a doubleheader on the 30th there. Okay, back to the golf. So along with Brooks, Kepka. His brother, Chase, had also backed out of the Travelers Championship. Didn't realize his brother was a pro golfer himself. As had, uh, Webb Simpson, who I just spoke about, who won um, RBC Heritage, he bowed out. 
coming off that win. Graham McDowell and Cameron Champ, who was actually the only player to test positive for coronavirus. So that's a, that's a bit of a, you know, that stings for the PGA a little bit that these big names are bowing out. But uh, looking good for the lefty, Phil Mickelson. He's sitting atop the leaderboard going into the weekend. All right, let's talk about Liverpool. I don't talk much soccer or football, if you will, but Liverpool um, didn't really know this till yesterday, I will admit. They have now won the Premier League championship. It was a 30-year drought. They clinched after Manchester City lost to Chelsea 2-1. to Christian Pulisic, I saw a beautiful goal by him to give that Chelsea a 1-0 lead in that game, so he was really a deciding factor in, in, uh, in Liverpool winning the uh, championship here. Uh, it's Liverpool's actually it's 30 year wait, but it's their their 19th overall championship, which puts them just one behind Manchester United. That is a quite impressive resume considering they waited 30 years in between their their 18th and their now 19th. Uh, LeBron James absolutely fired up after the win, tweeting his excitement. I'd be pretty excited too if I had a six and a half million dollar minority ownership stake in the team. So that's pretty cool. And then finally, there's really not too much going on in the world of sports this weekend or, or on TV. You got some fight night tomorrow, Tomorrow, if that's your thing. Um, I er, I encourage anybody to go and watch these 30 for 30s that they've been airing. The Maguire Sosa one was great. A couple ones before that were amazing, okay? And with that being said, guys, we're at the last part of the show. On this date in sports, I couldn't be more excited. It is June 26th, 2020, right? I always open the show with the date. It is Derek Jeter's 46th birthday. So on this date in sports, Derek Jeter was born June 26th, 1974. Happy 46th, El Capitan. We salute you. This is the Pody. Signing out. Have a great weekend, everybody. I will see you next Friday. Stay safe if you're in those couple states, especially if you're in Florida. Have a happy, healthy week, and I will see you next weekend or next Friday. Enjoy. My dream growing up was to be a Major League Baseball player and to play for the New York Yankees. Ever since my Eric first Jeter. game in Seattle. Steps in and gets his first Major League hit. His first in Yankees hope of many. Baseball is a very humbling sport. You know, you can be on top one minute on the bottom of the next. So I think you have to learn to take things in stride and keep, uh, you know, an even keel. Here, I, I, I've been spoiled and fortunate uh, when it comes to being a part of a lot of special moments. Top it all off. You couldn't have written a better script. What's going on, man? How you doing? I said if someone had written a script, I wouldn't have believed it myself. I'd have been like, oh, we need to tone it down a little bit. It's a great baseball player and a great human being. Oh, yeah. Hey. Hey. Hey, I got it. Trying to give it to her. This lady in the orange shirt is trying to take it from her. Nope. 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 Hit toward the hole. Jeter backhands from the outfield grass. Got him! Which he has to get to it. And then the strength 
to make a throw from deep on the outfield grass and retire the runner at first base. Now, the great thing about memories is you're able to pass it along from generation to generation. He is as tough and as good a Yankee as can be. And he goes after the first pitch, way back left field, Derek Jeter, goodbye, home run. The top of the wall, into third is Perez, they bring him around, throw to the plate by Jeter, great throw, inning over. Right on the money, an off-balance throw to get Perez, wow. Derek Jeter watching it. He'll take the field for the final time. Batting for the Yankees, number two, Derek Jeter, number two. The script is there. The last page is in Derek's hands. Meek deals. Base hits to right field. Here comes Richardson. Here's the throw for Marquez. Richardson is safe. Derek Jeter. I don't know what is. Beloved by his teammates, and that's always been the case. True family. There you go, Dad. It's kind of hard to believe that 20 seasons has gone by so quickly. You can't say enough about him. What is he? He's a winner. That's what he is. But there, there's only one Derek Jeter.